tell you what. Hey, it's a blessing to be with you today. Thanks for coming and joining us and worshiping the Lord. Um, I, I see people from the rooms up top to the lobby in the back and the sanctuary filled, and it's a testimony to you, testimony to your hearts, and in joining and worshiping with us. You know, it was so great this morning to hear, to hear your voices singing to God. And one of the things outside, you can see people moving a little bit, you can see people's voices singing, you can see people reading their lyric sheets and looking at Facebook, no, I'm looking at the song sheets on their phone, right? Nobody was looking at Facebook, but inside, when the voices resonate in the sanctuary, there's something special about it, isn't it? Something special about it. Thanks for singing this morning, thanks for lifting up the name of the Lord with us. We now come to chapter 4 in the book of Philippians. We've worked through chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then we're now in chapter 4. And so today what we're going to do is we're actually going to only take the first five verses in chapter 4. And over the next two weeks, up until the 13th, uh, up until the 6th, I'm sorry, the 6th, we're going to be in chapter 4. So open your Bibles with me this morning. Philippians 4, 1 through 5. If you don't have your phone, you can, uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can pull out your phone and, and open to that as well. I, I'd love for us to read it together. And because it's not on the screen, I will read it aloud alone, but you can read it uh, silently to yourself. Verse 1, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syneche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You know, when I, when I first looked at the book of Philippians, and I've said this before and we were outside, but I, I want to say it again, my, my focus in, in the book of Philippians was I, I felt, I, I just felt like we, people have just had enough. Man, it's, it's exhausting, everything that's going on. And it seems like it's, it's one thing that's bad news to another. And, and I look at the book of Philippians and I see it as a book of great joy, a book of great rejoicing, a, a book that is encouraging, that's uplifting. But what I've seen again and again through the book of Philippians is Paul's call to unity. Paul's call for us to walk together as a church, to walk together as brother and sisters, despite different thoughts, different preferences, and different ideas. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But last week we talked about straining forward. We talked about the importance of keeping our eye on the prize. We talked about pressing on. No matter what comes in life, we press on, we strain forward. That idea of straining speaks of, of working hard, working to move forward. Let's look at verse 1 together today in chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You know, Paul's love for the church in Philippi. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul's talking to the church in Philippi, right? If you know back in, in the book of Acts, we see, and we'll get to that in a, little, in a little bit, but Paul had already been there, and he knew them very well, and his love for them is so evident whom I love and I long for. You know, I, I think such a great part of Paul's ministry, especially the church in Philippi, was his deep love for the brothers and sisters there. 
He, he cared about them so much. They were so important to him. And I see that here at Mount Vernon with the way that you love each other. So that's, that's so, so important in a church body. I'm sure you've walked into a church before where you look around and you can sense the tension that exists in the air. Where there isn't that unity and there isn't that love. Because people are fighting so hard one way or so hard another. But Paul's love is so evident for them. And we'll get a little bit farther down as he speaks truth to them over and over again. But he says this, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Standing firm in the Lord, it's similar to what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. But we're in a day and age, and as was Paul in his time, where we are challenged from every single angle in regards to our faith. For those of you who are at public schools, your faith is challenged on a regular basis. For those of you who work secular jobs, your faith is something that oftentimes you have to keep to yourself. I know the story of a man who was a good friend of mine who said that he would send letters to people talking about his faith only to receive word from HR that you're not allowed to do that. I remember sitting down one time with a group of people we were talking about sharing the gospel. And the one person in the group said, Tony, if I share the gospel at my job with my coworker, if they tell HR, I lose my job. Guaranteed. You know, I, I, that's just how it is. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Difficulties will come. Challenges come. But our job is to remain firm in who he is. Putting on the armor of God every single day, as Paul says in Ephesians. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. We stand firm. We continue to trust God no matter what the circumstances. And then Paul says in verse 2, he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syneche to agree in the Lord. Did you ever notice that through, through the book of Philippians, Paul never actually solves or gives Yodia and Syneche the answer for the problem that they're going through? Right? So, so maybe, maybe the argument is this, and we know it's not. But maybe Yodia is saying, you know what? I love Coke. And Sineke says, no, 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 no. Cherry Pepsi is the best. And Yodia goes, no, you're totally wrong. That, that's terrible, right? It's, it's Coke. Now, it sounds so simple, right? Coke and Pepsi. But, but what Paul didn't say is Paul didn't say, you know what, Sineke, you're right. It's Cherry Pepsi. Yodia, you're way wrong. He totally let it go. He said, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to solve your problem. I'm not going to solve the issue that you're walking through. What I'm going to tell you is this. Agree in the Lord. Because you might not agree on what's better of Coke or Pepsi. That might be something you disagree with until you're grave. But what you can agree on is you can agree in the Lord. And so here's what I'm telling you. I'm not going to solve it, but you can agree in the Lord and you can bring unity. I mean, we think that Paul would solve their problem, right? Well, he did, by telling him to focus on Jesus. Then he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And he goes on to say, listen, the, the, that Yodi and Sineke have labored side by side with Paul. Now, much can be read into this verse, much is read into this verse. What isn't said is that Yodi and Sineke have a public preaching ministry with Paul, right? But they were involved in ministry in their church. Maybe it's a ministry of hospitality, maybe it was teaching the women, whatever area it was... It served to further the gospel, and Paul looks at them and says, says, listen, we have a different ministry, but we're laboring together. 
So you might have a ministry of, of teaching Sunday school, and somebody else has a ministry of, of being in the kitchen and, and setting up for meals, and somebody else might have a ministry of parking cars, but you know what? We're all laboring in the gospel together. Wear different hats, maybe even different t-shirts that have a different thing on the back. But we're all working towards the same goal, with the same focus, with the same eyes on the prize, and that's Jesus Christ. He encourages them, he reminds them that despite their difference of perspective, despite what they're going through, they're part of a larger body of believers with a larger goal and a larger purpose and a larger focus than the disagreement that Yodi and Seneca are walking through lives. See, Christians have to keep their eyes focused on Christ. And our purpose. See, because what happens is when we, when we focus on Christ and we focus on our purpose, so many other things disappear. Right? You know what I'm saying? But when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on our circumstances, all of a sudden there's a lot going on. And there's a lot of things that we can disagree about. And there's a lot of things that, that I see one way, but you see some other way. And we can let that come between us. We don't have the same focus, same purpose. We're not working towards the same goal. Brain forward, we press on. You know, if you remember back the first week we talked, we looked at uh, the importance of celebrating Christ's priest. And even though some people might preach Christ a little bit differently than you do or than you would prefer, if the true gospel is preached, if Christ is truly preached, and true gospel is such an important part there, right? It's, it's, not, it's not a false gospel. It's not a distorted gospel. It's not a prosperity gospel, right? It's the true gospel. If the true gospel is preached, we rejoice. We celebrate. Even if a speaker is a little bit louder than, than we would prefer, a little bit quieter than we prefer, if he dresses a little differently than we would prefer, or if, if the music is different than what you like, if the true gospel is preached, we rejoice and we celebrate that. Because it's not about Christ. Oh. Then Paul gets to verse 4. Now you're probably looking, verse 4 and 5, we're almost done. The meat of the message is in verse 4 and 5. That was just the introduction. So get comfy, get comfy. But verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is not the first time in the book of Philippians that Paul has said to the church, rejoice. It is not the first time that Paul has ever written rejoice. As a matter of fact, he mentions it over and over again. And we talked a little bit last time about how we can rejoice no matter what. But here's what I want to get at today is understanding that rejoicing in the Lord is a decision that you and I make. It's a conscious decision that you and I make of whether or not we are going to truly rejoice in the Lord or choose to not rejoice in the Lord. See, we can choose whether or not to look at a situation from the perspective of, listen, God's doing something, he's working, I don't understand what, but I rejoice in his faithfulness, his goodness, and knowing that he can take the worst of situations and use it for his glory. Or we can look at the situation and say, why me, God? You know how many times I go to church? You know how much I give an offering? Why me? See, Paul's life is filled with difficulty. Yet he sets a great example of what it means to rejoice in the Lord. 
See, the church here would have been aware of this, not only because he's currently in prison and writing to them and, and his letter is filled with such joy and such hope, but Paul was also in prison back in the book of Acts in Philippi when Paul and Silas were in prison. Do you remember that? Right? And they get beaten and they get thrown into prison. And what happened? So, so what happens is Paul and Silas, they go and they sit in prison. They fold their arms and they cross them and they say, why would you put me in this situation, God? Right? No. If you read your Bible, no. What happens is they're beaten, bloody. Start singing. Our God, sing with me how great is our God. Now, come on, that was written a little bit later than them. One of the hymns that they would sing. They're in prison. They're in prison. They've just been beaten. They've just been bloodied. Their ministry had just been paused, maybe, right? Or, or so some people would think, even though it wasn't because God had a purpose in them being there. And instead of sitting there and saying, God, why would you allow us to be beaten and in pain? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to worship you. See, choosing joy is choosing an attitude of worship in the worst of circumstances. See, it's choosing to praise God in the storm. Praising God when your circumstances don't match what you would consider ideal. In those circumstances, you make the choice of choosing to rejoice in God or choosing to not rejoice in God. Because what a testimony it is in the midst of the storm when you decide to worship God anyway. I think we've all seen that before. Where there's someone whose heart is absolutely broken into a million pieces. Who's going through the most difficult time in their life, yet their response is to say glory to God. I praise him for his goodness. I think sometimes people get confused. Think that joy always means a smile. You can rejoice in the Lord with tears streaming down your face. You can rejoice in the Lord when you don't have the strength to smile. Because it's an attitude of worship in your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Know that there's a couple of things in life that can never be taken. That no human being can ever take from you. Salvation. Hope in the Lord. You can choose to give up your joy in the Lord. You can choose to focus on something else, but nobody can ever take that from you. Because it's a conscious decision that you make of whether or not you are going to rejoice in who God is. And I don't know if you know this, but one of the most beautiful things about joy in the Lord is that it's super contagious. It's super contagious. So the other day I was sitting at home with Nehemiah and we were building blocks. We were building this tower. And it was, we were building it up and up and up and it would fall and he would get so frustrated and he'd want to build it again and we'd build it up. I mean, it was a single layer. It was going to fall over after some point no matter what. And we built it up. We did it for a while. And all of a sudden something was so funny to him and he just started laughing. He just started laughing to the point where he was belly laughing. And you know when a child belly laughs? 
you can't not laugh, right? I mean, you start laughing too, and then you're belly laughing too, and then it's just going on and on. It's contagious. I was joy in the Lord. It's almost like a yawn. You look over and see someone else yawning, what do you do? That's right, you yawn, man. And just in about 30 seconds, some of you are going to start yawning too because I just said it, right? I remember I was taking the SATs and I had an essay on yawning, and as I'm writing, I'm like, oh my goodness, still two more hours, you know? <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, I'm sure you've heard of Charles Spurgeon. I had a quote, but it's going to be too small to see this morning because it really filled the screen. Let me read this to you. It's about joy. He said, there's a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and confronting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One dolorous spirit brings a kind of plague into the house, but one person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because of the testimony, because of God's goodness, because of how encouraging it is to the body, because of how much celebration it can bring to your brother or sister who might be struggling in something else in their life. And I could go on and on and on. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then we get to verse 5. And Paul says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The, world, the word reasonableness um, is the word epi-case, epi-case. And it has multiple meanings, but the idea is one of reasonableness, one of gentleness, one of moderation, one of finding the balance. FBI case. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. See, as believers, we must be people that stand firm in the Lord. See, there are certain things in life where there is no compromise, where we stand true to who God is. There are certain things in life where th there is no middle ground. For example, there's one way to get to heaven. Not two, not three, not four, not one and a half. There's one way, one truth, and one life. And I could go on and on and on, a whole bunch of other, other things where there are no compromises and primary doctrinal issues that we cannot move away from, or we cannot say, well, you know what? <laughs> if you want to believe there are two ways to go to heaven, good for you. You know, we, we'll just agree to disagree. No, there, there is, there, there's no other way. There's one way. Yet we are also to be people of reasonableness, people of gentleness, people of moderation. I want you to understand, in no way is Paul suggesting that we compromise primary doctrinal issues. This is so important, and we have to make sure we hold on to this, because what Paul is saying isn't that we're supposed to compromise truth, biblical truth, for the sake of being accepted. I, I recently watched a, an interview between, this is an old Larry King Live. Do you remember, remember Larry King Live? Larry King Live, I remember I grew up and Larry King Live was on TV and it was uh, four different people, but two of the ones that I, I really recognized were Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and John MacArthur were both on this interview together and it was on the idea of marriage and uh, Gavin Newsom was, was making a push to uh, 
have the definition of marriage change to um, two people. And John MacArthur was saying, no, listen, here's what the Bible says. And, and, and what MacArthur wasn't doing in this situation is he wasn't saying, well, listen, you know what? I'm going to be reasonable here, and I'm just going to say that whatever. No, listen, the truth says this. The Bible says this, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and God defined that. And this was the whole time when, when George W. Bush was, they were introducing the, um, the amendment to the Constitution of, of redefining what, the definition of marriage or, or clarifying that. Um, a very, 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 very interesting interview, and if you have the time to listen to what MacArthur shared, it was very encouraging to me, and I th thought he stood very firmly on the Word of God and, and not compromising. But those are things that we don't move on. Right? There's no wiggle room there. But in certain things in life, there is a little bit of wiggle room. For example, when you go, and when I grew up in Bolivia, we would go to the market. And they would always bargain for prices. You'd be someone who's known by your reasonableness, by the way you treat other people. Are you someone who is gentle? Are you someone who is reasonable? Or are you someone who only has to get your way? There's a man I know very well, much, much older than me, firmly rooted in the Lord. He's the kind of man that when he speaks, everybody listens because he's walked the journey of life. I remember having many conversations with this man, and we didn't always agree, but we always agreed on our purpose and our goal. But sometimes, the ways in which we were going to reach that disagreed. For example, his preference was very much toward a, stiff, a specific style of music. And we'd have very good conversations about that. We didn't always agree. But we were always able to talk and listen, hear each other. I remember he shared with me at one point. He said, you know, Tony, one of the things that's so important to me in my life is to listen to other people. He said, if there's someone who completely disagrees or, or even maybe has offended me or, or we're on different pages, I want to sit down with that person face to face and I want to talk. And I want to hear what they have to say and I want to hear where their heart is and I want to hear what's going on because maybe, just maybe, I'm missing something. And I have to go in with an open heart because maybe, just maybe, there's something that they're going to say that's totally right and I'm way off. And so I go in with an open heart, a reasonable heart, a gentle heart, a heart that's not focused on me and my agenda, but a heart that's focused on truly listening and truly being loving. William McDonald, uh, one of my favorite commentary writers, he says this on the beginning of verse 5 here. Um, he says, now Paul urges them to let their gentleness be known to all men. This has also been translated yieldness, yieldedness, sweet reasonableness, and willingness to give up one's own way. The difficulty does not lie in understanding what is meant, but in obeying the precept to all men. So let me read one more time. Now, now Paul urges them to let their gentleness be known to all men, and he goes on to list, it's been translated yieldedness, sweet reasonableness, willingness to give up one's own way. But then he says this, the difficulty does not lie in understanding what's meant, but in obeying the precept to all men but in obeying the precept to all men. Am I truly willing to be someone who's known for my reasonableness to my brothers and sisters? Someone who stands firm in the Lord, right? I'm not compromising my doctrinal issues, right? That doesn't change. There's no wiggle room. But I'm going to be known as someone who's gentle in the way that I go about my life. 
then Paul says this, the Lord is at hand. A number of years ago, there was a uh, self-proclaimed prophet or, or whatever it would be where the person came out and said that they knew the exact day the Lord was coming back and it was going to be this time and here's what it was going to look like. Now, this is one of many times that this has happened over the history uh, since Jesus has gone back to heaven, right? Over and over again we hear it. And each time that you have someone get up and proclaim that, they are liars, right? And they are completely going against the teaching of Scripture. But this happened and a lot of people believed in it. A lot of people thought it was right. There were a lot of YouTube videos going around that, that linked somebody to this and somebody to that and over here to this and over here to that. And did you see what happened in the government here? And did you see what happened over here? And so all of this means that on this day, on this year, the Lord will come back. And you know what happened? Well, he didn't come back. But the people that truly bought into that completely changed the way they lived their lives until that day. All of a sudden, everything was done with such urgency and such intentionality. And while it was totally a lie, it changed the way that some people acted. And as I watched, I watched because some people that I know were buying into that a little bit. What if the Lord was coming back today? Would that change the way you lived your life? Would that change the way you treated your brother or sister? Would it change the urgency that you have to share the gospel with people? Now he's not in here, but Kendall Keeler attends Mount Vernon. If you're new to Mount Vernon, he has been someone that's been in our leadership here as well. But he recently wrote a book called Your Last 24. If you haven't read it, you should. Reminds us of that urgency and challenges us about the way that we live our lives. And actually, in a couple of weeks, Kendall's going to come up on September 6th. We're actually going to share the sermon time. He's going to share about a very awesome opportunity to get involved in a ministry, and I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to tell you anything else about it because it's so cool. You want to make sure you're here on September 6th. But Paul says the Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known for all. Stand firm in the Lord. Rejoice in who he is. Make sure that you keep your eyes focused on Jesus and the way you're living your life because the Lord is at hand because at any moment our life could be over on this earth. At any moment, are you living with the most intentionality that you could be? Are you distracted? Are you truly loving other people with your whole heart? Loving your neighbor as yourself, putting God above everything else. For those of you with children, are you intentionally discipling your children? Are you truly sharing the gospel when you're out in places? Are you discipling your grandchildren? Are you making sure to be involved with your brothers and sisters? Are you looking for those in need and helping them? And we could go on and on and on and on of how we would live our lives if we knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow. If we knew that on the drive home, it would be your last drive. You probably wouldn't go on the sports app to see if the Eagles won. 
There's more important things. Paul reminds the church in Philippi, stand firm in the Lord because the Lord is at hand. At any moment, at any time, we could draw our last breath here on this earth. And I pray that each and every one of us are living with the intentionality that when we meet our Savior face to face, we're told, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you pray with me? Lord, we rejoice in you today. Father, as we think of 24 weeks without being inside this building, but looking at your faithfulness, your goodness, Father, as I look out and see one body together, we rejoice. And Father, we celebrate you, realizing that the victory is yours. Lord, help us to live our lives with intentionality, realizing that at any moment, Lord, you could call us home. You could say, Tony's time is done on this earth. Lord, may, may each and every one of us live lives that depict your great faithfulness. May we be known as gentle people, but people who are always standing firm in you and in your truth. our hearts to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.